2: The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com.
3: Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: On behalf T-mo of Detroit, the we want to present these buffs to our governor, Aye. Big Grinch! Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Gretsch. We ain't even about to stretch, we got Big Gretsch. You can find her in the press, under Big Gretsch. Fresh in a new dress, yeah that's Big great Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Grinch. We ain't even about to stress We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press. Mm-hmm. Under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no role. Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch said stay home. Put your ass down. All that protesting was irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we going to take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Big Gretch got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Gretch with the buffs on, on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on their pair of buffs with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw so the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch, we got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press, under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big great Throw the bust on her face. Cause that's Big great We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big great At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big great Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big great
1: Big Program.com. <music> 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 Tom summer program from the Tom Somner.
2: Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour is uh, from the UK. He um, spent time as a... Uh, um, actually, that sounds like a punishment, but uh, he uh, he has been an antique dealer, uh, and he has uh, worked as an antique columnist uh, for uh, BBC magazines and... Um, Ran a guest house in South India for several years and another in France. He uh, returned to uh, the UK and uh, is on the phone with me from there to talk about a uh, book called Earth is a School. His name is William Wildblood. He joins me, uh, as I said, by phone uh, from London, I believe. Um, Anyway, William,
4: uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Tom. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Um, I'm just outside London but uh, I like to think it is London.
2: <laughs> well, that's kind of how I do with Flint. So I'm <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just on the outskirts. But um when when you talk about the the title I want to talk about the title of the book it, it's Earth is a School. And the first thing that popped into my mind is uh well if all the world's a stage is the earth an acting school. <laughs> um
4: well, I suppose, I suppose it can be a school for all sorts of different things. I mean, in a regular school, you have lots of different lessons going on, don't you? And I suppose each soul has different lessons in, in this school. But, I mean, the, the basic idea behind the Earth is a School saying is that it's, a, it's an arena for the development of spiritual consciousness. That's, that's what I see the earth as, see our life in this world as form.
2: And I, I get the impression that you are opining that um, material possessions and and the aspirations that we have in our daily lives are part of that journey.
4: I think so, yes. I mean, I... I don't think I don't think material possessions are are bad things. I'm not quite sure if that's what you're asking, but I think the the difficulty is when we set too much store by them and get too much attached to them and and chase after them too much. I mean, I I see I see all things in creation as fundamentally good but sometimes gone wrong and we have to get a proper sense of priorities about uh, our spiritual goals and our material goals, and that's going to ch- be different for each person. But I think what's wrong with the world today is that people don't really have spiritual goals, or not enough people have spiritual goals.
2: Yeah, I guess what I was getting at when we talk about material possessions, um, and and I I just want to finish up with that um, by. Ask because you say the material world is kind of a proving ground for achieving spirituality, and and certainly can be. Um, and I, I'm just trying to get an idea of how a high res flat screen TV gets me there.
4: Oh well, I don't think <laughs> that does. <laughs> I'm I'm being facetious, William. I hope you know. <laughs> Well, no, I like I like a bit of facetiousness is excellent, I think. But as long as there's an undercurrent of seriousness behind it. But I mean, take take me for example. I have way too many CDs and books that, that is good for me. But um, but I I don't think I'm too attached to them. I think if they all went out of the window or down the drain or wherever they might go tomorrow, then I would carry on perfectly happily. So I, I think that. It's, is, is your question, is it a bad thing to have material possessions, or what is, what is the question exactly? I don't think it's a bad thing. I think what's bad is getting caught up in it. But
2: a lot, but a lot of people who, who talk about and, and explore spirituality might suggest that some of those things get in the way of our
4: achieving uh, spirituality. Oh, I think they do. I think they certainly do. But um, at the same time, you can make the uh, desire to strip yourself of all material possessions. That can become a, a kind of possession or obsession itself, can't it? So, I think the thing to do is just to sit lightly with it. You know, if they're there, fine. If they're not, you're not bothered by it. Um, I mentioned my books and CDs. I don't really have much else, <laughs> a few a few trinkets and so on. But um, I, I think that material possessions can certainly get in the way of spiritual development. It certainly can. Well, like but, you, William, I have uh, a
2: great many books and CDs, and I enjoy all the trappings. You know, having an office with bookcases mm-hmm. and shelves and. All of those things. But I I discovered I lived in uh, Los Angeles for a short time where life is very expensive. And I had a um, just just a small studio apartment and and I had literally nothing, not a picture hanging on the wall. Um, I had some clothes in a closet in a refrigerator and a hot plate and a bed. And that was about it. And I discovered how comfortably I could live without
4: all those trappings. Well, that, that's very true. When I, when I lived in India, uh, I'm afraid I can beat you. I didn't even have a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we, we, had a, we had a clay pot inside which you put a smaller clay pot. And in the bigger clay pot, you would put some water. And then you would put your smaller clay pot in and... Inside that small clay pot, you'd put in. Well, there wasn't much. You need to refrigerate there, but maybe a bit of um, bit of butter or or um, curds, you know, yogurt, that kind of stuff. But I know what you mean. When when you strip yourself right back to virtually nothing, just the the bare necessities, that's very liberating.
2: I I thought it was. I, I after that, I've you know, I still have I have those trappings today, but. But like you suggested, I, I don't feel as anchored by them.
4: Yes. Well, that's the thing. I think just you do find as you, as you become more focused on spiritual things that your desire for material things dissipates somewhat and, and you don't really have the, the need to have, you know, a car or even... The, the flat screen TV you mentioned, <laughs> um, and so you, you, you're content with little, and I think that's that's the way to be. The whole the whole question is to do with your attachment and your need for them. But um, I think that it's all right to have some possessions. It's it's rather like food, isn't it? I, you need food to live, but you don't need to have fancy meals in expensive
2: restaurants all the time right right um i was was reading that that you relate our current time as being exceptional as a kind of mass testing um
5: and and you talk
2: about the separation of sheep and goats um like in in biblical terms, and you know, I was I was sort of when I was reading through that, I, I was sort of applying that to um, U.S. politics and and how divisive things are here. Do you see it that way around the world?
4: Uh, well, increasingly, I do. I, um, a, f- a friend of mine has an expression which I think he takes from the writer C.S. Lewis. You know, the writer who wrote. Uh, the Narnia stories, stories for children, and also wrote a lot of Christian apo- apo- apologia, whatever it's called. I, anyhow, uh, the, the expression is things are coming to a point where it becomes harder and harder to to be neutral in in the world. You and I think people are getting very agitated about political things, but I think that's a distraction. For, for example. I mean, this phrase, sheep and goat, it could be slightly unfortunate. It sounds like us and them and sort of angels and devils and so on. But I I see it as those who are awakening to the reality of God and and spiritual truths and those who continue to reject that reality. Now, awakening to spiritual truths can take many different forms. So it doesn't mean you've got to be in this religion or that religion But it it means that you're becoming aware of this world as something much greater than it appears to the physical senses. And I think what's happening nowadays is that we have lived through a very materialistic and atheistic few decades in which religion and spirituality is becoming more and more separated from the, the, the core of life when that should be the core of life. And and so that's what I think about this period is that we don't have the external support, or many of us don't have the external support of religion in our lives anymore. So we have to find it within ourselves somehow or other. And that's a kind of test of
2: the heart. More about spiritual learning with the author of Earth is a School, William Wildblood from the UK, straight ahead
6: Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show.
2: More about spiritual learning with the author of Earth is a School, William Wildblood from the UK, straight ahead. You know, the nature of, of my radio show as such um, in, involves a lot of conversations like this about books that are out exploring uh, different ways of, of looking at life. But but also, it... it revolves a lot around the news and headlines and current events and and the people involved in um, making decisions about those things and carrying out actions, uh, those that govern and those that seek to govern. And I'm constantly um, bothered or disappointed by the lack of participation by Americans in the voting process for example you know people just they they just don't pay any attention to what's going on around them they don't vote they they just have completely divorced themselves from that part of living in America and I get the impression that the same thing is going on with regard to people's faith as they fall away from various churches. They don't necessarily then start to explore spirituality in a different way. They just
4: become disengaged.
2: Do you see it that way?
4: Yes, I do. I I think with regard to politics, I don't think you can entirely blame people because the, the choices on offer uh, are just so uninspiring, aren't they?
2: No, that's <laughs> um, that's a that's a fair point. I, I'd love to support the best candidate, but that person is never a candidate.
4: <laughs> yeah, and, and often it's a question of it's often just a question of choosing the least bad um, rather than the good. Right. But I mean, my my major concern is is with the spiritual aspect of life, and I and that's what this book, Earth Is a School, is about. It, it's about the 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 learning that we can follow in this in this world and, and that's our reason for being here in, in my view. But,
2: but but I wonder if people aren't experiencing and and I didn't want to draw politics into it because I I'm not trying to steer you, William, toward talking about politics. I, I just think there's a similarity in the way people have um just just become disengaged.
4: Well, it seems to me that fifty years ago or something, if you were a Republican or a Democrat, you could you could respect your opponent, couldn't you?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and and, and very often, <laughs> the idea was that everybody brought something to the table, and at the end of the day, it was it was greater. Because of the diversity of ideas and opinions the the solution um, was was made smarter by having all these different points of view inform the action that was designed and taken and so on and Now you either agree with me or you're a moron and but but I want to steer away from from politics and and all the abrasiveness that goes with it and just deal with the disenfranchised there are a lot of people who've just walked away from their churches through complete lack of inspiration and disinterest
4: yeah and and I think I think this is a bit of a wake-up call to us because I think the um, the churches have lost the inner fire of, of spirituality. Uh, maybe it's because there aren't enough saints nowadays, I don't know. and and saints are the lifeblood of any church, but i think that this means that what we have to do now is search within ourselves a great deal more. going using um using the the template as it were of of religion and and the scriptures as guides because those are always there and they're timeless in a way but we have to we have to engage with religion more consciously and less passively perhaps and and therefore find God within ourselves as well as just out there and perhaps people are becoming less interested in conventional ideas of religion but instead of moving on to to an inner comprehension of the of the, the spiritual truths which which are eternal in my view they don't they don't change they're they're always there they they just let them go completely because they they see that the old ways no longer satisfy them and instead of looking for truth within themselves which can then be fed by some of the old religions and scriptures they just abandon ship as it were and And it's so easy to do that now because the the distractions of modernity are so extraordinary. We're so comfortable. We have entertainment at our fingertips. So we can do all that, and many of us aren't aren't bothered by the huge hole in our existence, the God-shaped hole.
2: (laughs) Or the unanswered questions.
4: Yes, but do we keep looking for answers, or do we just... Forget about the questions, and I think that's the problem. We forget about the questions or think the questions aren't worth asking anymore.
2: I'm concerned that, that people... Um, I, I was going to ask about the difference between church and spirituality, but I think that's, I think we're past that. Can people follow a path to spirituality unguided?
4: No, no, they can't, but I think you can have a, a kind of blended path where you have outer guidance and I'm thinking about if if you're a christian from from the scriptures and and from the religions which they 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 have sustained human beings for you know, two thousand years in in the sense of Christianity, but at the same time you have to not interpret that with your own inner soul consciousness, but engage with it. So you don't take it as um, absolutely true without any participation of your own mind, but you, you bring your own mind to bear on, on the truths of religion. But you, you do need guidance, because it's all very well saying it all must come from within, but then you can go off the rails very easily, as, as we've seen <laughs> so many occasions when people have done that. But I think it all comes from, you have to have a strong life of prayer, perhaps, if you do that, or meditation, either of those two things, both of those two things, in fact.
2: Well, historic historically, William, we've always looked to priests and rabbis and imams to, to provide some guidance and some interpretations of the texts. Um is it safe to navigate on our own using just the available uh, texts that are available?
4: I think it depends on the person. You know, for some people it's not safe. For other people it might be essential. It really depends on on what you feel called to do. I don't think we all have the same path to tread, and I think many of us nowadays are, I I liken it to um, adolescence. I think human beings, spiritually speaking, are at a kind of adolescent stage. And adolescents are no longer told what to do by their parents or their teachers. Well, they still are a bit, that's the thing. But they also have to learn to, to navigate their own paths. And I think that's where we are. We're at this kind of betwixt and between point where... We're growing out of external authority being our only guide, but we haven't yet reached the point where we have the the inner contact with God that is able to be a complete replacement for that authority. But if we're ever going to get there, we have to we have to grow towards it. So I think this is a slightly uncomfortable time, really, for human beings in that in that we're We're growing out of one phase of existence, the the pure dependence on external authority. We're growing into a more inner awareness, perhaps you could say being guided by the Holy Spirit, but we aren't sufficiently spiritually mature to depend entirely on that because our own ego, thoughts, conditioning, wishful thinking, you know, all that stuff that we all have, that's going to muddy the waters somewhat if we're not careful.
2: Well, for a lot of people who, you know, were raised in a particular uh, religious discipline—Catholics uh, and in and other branches of Christianity—and and, uh, Jews and so on—and and then there's there's a point where that external guidance um causes people in, in some way to feel let down or not fulfilled they're they're going to church but they're not they're not really feeling connected not really feeling a part of it and they drift off and and i suspect they feel cast off as much as they feel like they're making a conscious decision to Leave the church um, what how can people realize that because where they are isn't working, they should be looking for spiritual growth somewhere
4: else? I do think that if you if you have the the desire or the the aspiration you will you will explore, and there is an awful lot of literature and teachings out there now that that people can come across to to supplement their already existing religious knowledge. So if 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 you're going to church and you feel the whole thing is too external and just not working for you, and you're sort of going through the motions and and the old formulae are no longer working for you, then I think it is a good idea to, to explore other spiritual approaches, not necessarily to beca- take them up and that's your new religion, but just to, it's like a diamond with many different facets, and you, lo- you look at a different facet to the one you're used to, and that can make the whole diamond come more real to you. Um, yeah, yeah, I heard a. a lot of I heard a priest
2: say once he was referring to a large number of his congregants as um, two timers. They show up at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> and but that's a problem that churches uh, of all faiths have been wrestling with for the last fifty plus years, and, and maybe longer. William, I'm not sure, but is the is the inspiration to search for spiritual, for spirituality and a spiritual connection to a higher being, is that just built into us, or do we need a wake-up call, and where do we get one?
4: Okay, well, I I would say both. To what you, I think. Human beings are are religious. That that they are naturally religious. And you go back to the early days of the, the Paleolithic. You, you find that people, when they buried their dead, they think they would cover them with red ochre or something. And and that's a sign that there was some awareness that there was a existence in the next world that would, that life carried on. So we are we are fundamentally religious. But um, I think. We've rather lost that. We're, as I said earlier, we're too distracted by the miracles of technology. But if we lived a more natural life, I think our, our religious instincts would, would reawaken. They've been sent to sleep somewhat because we live in such an artificial environment. You know, We have comfortable houses with heating. There's the TV over there. There's the fridge. Everything we want for most of us, obviously there are some people who are not like that at all, but for most of us in the in the modern West, we're pretty spoilt. I mean, I, I sometimes like to think that we have more more stuff at our fingertips than even one of some of the great kings of the Middle Ages could ever have had, like Louis XIV in France, who was probably one of the greatest, most powerful kings ever. But um, he didn't have any inside plumbing in his palaces. So... so <laughs> We do live these artificial lives and if we ever go out into nature and then we look at nature and we, and we say to ourselves, this is not just stuff that happens to be growing. This is, this is a creation. Let's look at it as though it's a creation. And if there's a creation, that means there is a creator. Let's try and look at it with, with fresh eyes and not, not in the sort of jaded way that we have normally come to, to see. And then that will awaken something in us, I think. That will reawaken our religious instincts, which have been lulled to sleep by the artificiality of our lives.
2: What is spiritual anatomy?
4: Spiritual anatomy. Um, well, if, if you look at it, human beings nowadays, in our normal materialistic way of approaching that, you, you look at a human being, you think, okay, there's the body there's um there's the emotions the feelings and there's the brain and the mind and and that's that but i don't think that is that i think i think spiritual anatomy can also be looked at in a in a kind of triple form like mind emotions and body and I, i call it something like spirit soul and body and the body is our physical and our physical self and that includes the brain really that sort of normal thinking that's all wrapped up in the body but above that there is the soul and I would regard the soul as our individual consciousness the um, the kind of essential self behind the the thoughts and the feelings and the and the physical body and then spirit behind that is spirit is the spark of God within us that's the divine truth within us so we have, we have a spark of God within us, we have our individual soul and then on the outside we have our material self and this last one is the one we're really most aware of but I think part of this earth is a school scenario but means becoming more aware of these higher or deeper parts of our, our nature our spiritual nature rather than our earthly, material nature.
2: William, um, what prompted you to write this book? How did the the idea of this book come about? This is a far cry from writing about antiques, or is it? (laughs) No, it is. It is
4: a far cry from writing about antiques. Um, This is actually my third book. Um, My first one was called Meeting the Masters, and that was about uh, some experiences I had in my younger days, uh, in the seventies and eighties, late seventies and eighties, when um, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> I was I was spoken to by some spiritual beings who described themselves as messengers from God, and they uh, they instructed me in in the sort of lessons that I as they said, and as I, I felt too, I'd come to earth to learn. I mean, very basic lessons like learning humility, learning to love, just the sort of lessons that are normally um, talked about in, in Christianity. Uh, I, At the time, I was a, a sort of Christian. I was raised in the Church of England, and uh, I went to church on Sundays, but I wasn't quite a two timer, as you said earlier on, but i wasn't I wasn't an every weaker either um, but anyhow this was this was not specifically couched in Christian terms, but it was it was essentially christian to to my way of thinking so anyhow i was I was talked to by these spiritual beings, and um that was over a period of twenty years, in fact, although it tailed off towards the end. And one of the things they actually told me was this earth is a school. Um, And I learned from them that souls exist in the spiritual realms and they come down to this earth to learn, to uh, become more aware of God because up in the spiritual world, you don't really have the opportunity to prove yourself because it's a, a world of bliss i mean I, I like to think of it as p- sort of permanent sunbathing really you're, so, <laughs> so you're lying on the sunbathing but you're not going to learn much up there because there's no there's no challenge and you come down to this world and here you can you can grow in love and understanding because there is this challenge in this world there's suffering there's pain there's sorrow there's difficulty we have to we have to prove ourselves in a way We're we're all Faced with challenges in life, and and through dealing with these challenges, that that makes us better people. It's it's a very long drawn out process. I mean, it's not something that can happen quickly or overnight.
2: Well, and and William, that's the perfect note to uh, end on because we're just about out of time. Um, My guest is William Wildblood. He is the author of a book called Earth is a School. And William, I want to thank you for spending this time with me and sharing your thoughts. I feel like we're only scratching the surface, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you, about the book, and about your work, past, present, and future. Um, William, do you have a website?
4: I I have a blog and it, it's wow. called MeetingTheMasters.blogspot.com.
2: Well, William, thanks, and uh, um, so yeah, this Earth is a schoolbook. If
4: I, I hope you don't mind me,
2: no, not at all, pushing
4: it a little bit. But it it comes out at the beginning of November. It's it's published by John Hunt Publishing and the Axis Mundi imprint, and it's called Earth is a School, and uh, it's. It was a labour of love, and I think, I think, I hope it interests people if they if they come across it. You but know, I thank I'm you glad, very much.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that, William, because I usually ask when did or does the book come out, and and I uh, I missed it. So I'm glad you uh, brought me back.
4: <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I've, I've enjoyed our, our talk, um, so I'm very grateful. All right. Well, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Take
2: care. Again, William Wildblood. The name of the book is Earth is a School, soon to be released in November. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Do the right, and
1: stay inside. Hey! <muchas>
2: Armchair Politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan near Pinkney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable Armchair Politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27th, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair Politics is going to hell, and you can too.
4: This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program.:
0: Welcome to this presentation of the comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.:
8: One by to see my minister yesterday? You know what my minister told me? He was saying how much pressure women are under from the devil, and how the devil just hounds women. You know, that's rough, too, being a minister. I mean, he told me, he said, You're coming here complaining about your problems, and I got to wage this constant battle against the devil. I said, Yeah, (laughs) Rev? He told me his wife came in the house a few days before, and she had this box. And on the side of this box was written the name of a very exclusive dress shop. The lowest dress was $85. That was on sale. (laughs) So she walks in the house, and Rev says, Another dress? You bought another dress? This is ridiculous just so the third dress this week. And his wife tells him, The devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> said, I didn't want to buy no dress. The devil kept following me. I was going down the street going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the devil kept following me, and he kept telling me how good I look. <laughs> the ref said, I'm not going for that. He said, every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. Said so you blamed it on the devil when you ran the car to the side of the church. It was the devil. You wasn't there. How do you know? He grabbed the steering wheel out of my hand. I said, well, why didn't you step on the brake? Said because when he grabbed the steering wheel, I tried to kick him. You can't kick him and step on the brake at the same time. Said and we had a big fight. And that's why I was in the backseat when y'all got the call. <laughs> Griff said, well, how'd the devil get you to buy the dress? She said, I was going out, of said, t-
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
8: and the devil sneaked up behind me. Sneaked. I heard him tip it you know, I didn't want to look around because I knew it was the devil, you know. <laughs> the devil came up behind me, he said, i said, uh, see, mama, look at the dress in the window. He <laughs> said, that's your size, too. He said, it's on sale, too. Got a lot of them flowers in it like you like, you know. So why don't you treat yourself to that dress? And I told him, you better cut that out, devil. Already bought two dresses this week. I'm not gonna buy no dress. I'm not even gonna look at it. The devil said, why don't you try it on? I said, i are not gonna charge you nothing to try it on. I and mean, that's free. You owe yourself a try-on. I said, devil, you better leave me alone. And he shoved me in the door. The devil just... Shoved me in that door. And he pushed me in the door. I said, "Devil, stop it, please."
1: <laughs> <laughs> then, then,
8: then he shoved me over the red dress. Was I said, "Cut it out, devil." <laughs> then he threatened me and made me try it on. <laughs> devil said, "You gonna buy that dress?" I said, I'm not buying no dress, devil, and he pulled a gun. (laughs) Devil pulled a gun, and he threatened me and made me sign your name to a check. Griff said, look, said how come every time the devil makes you do something, it's something for your benefit? When's the devil gonna do me a favor? And his wife tells him, he did already. I asked the devil about that. He said, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even have a job.
9: was thinking i you gonna be wrong, and I grew strong, and I learned how to get along. But now, you're back from outer space. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look on your face. I should have changed that stupid life. I should have made you leave your key. But if I'd have known for just one second you'd be back to bother me, oh no. Walk out that door. Just turn around, because you're not welcome on the deck of the bridge anymore. Weren't you the one that tried to murder my crew? Cop, you bloodsucker. You managed to kill just about everyone else. But like a poor marshal, you keep missing the target. You're gonna have to come down here, com. You're gonna have to come down here. It took all the strength I had not to fall apart. The bridge was smashed. The computer's inoperable. Well, I don't believe in the no-win situation. So walk out the door. Just turn around now, because you're not welcome anymore. Weren't you the one that tried to hurt me with your lives? Do you think I'd crumble? Do you think I'd lay down and die? Oh no, not I. I will survive. As long as I know how to love, I know I'll stay alive. That I've got all my life to live. That I've got all my love to give. I will survive. I will survive. Come on! I will survive!
1: Hello darling, this is O'Vira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner.
2: we're uh, focusing on william shatner aka captain james t kirk of the starship enterprise this week during schlocktober those horrible songs that we love to hate or hate to love whichever it is but uh, in honor of william shatner who at age 90 is actually in real life expected to travel to space next week so we've uh, decided to focus on uh, William Shatner is always a part of a big part of Schlocktober but we decided to really just kind of push it this week we're going to take a short break for uh, show ID but we still have the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner program still to come so stay tuned
4: hi I'm Alexander Zanjic. don't touch that dial you're listening to Tom Sumner